We're going to talk about being outnumbered today. Uh, this is the picture I chose. I think that's so fun. So um, I'll give you an example from my own life. I choose to be cheese-free. But there are a lot of cheese hustlers out there, a lot of cheese Nazis, if you will, pushing their cheese on everybody. Wanting you to eat lasagna. Well, I don't want to eat lasagna. Wanting you to eat chicken cordon bleu. You know what that's French for? Stuffed with cheese. That's what it means. Cheese everywhere. Everybody's trying to get me to eat cheese. And so, just so you know, some of us don't want cheese and we don't like cheese. Back in the day, you could order a quarter pounder and if you wanted cheese, you had to ask for it. Not today. Today, you order a quarter pounder, it comes with cheese because they just assume Everybody wants cheese. Well, we don't. That just so you know, some of us don't want cheese. Okay, it's off my chest now. I feel better. Um, you've probably felt outnumbered before. You're at a party. You're, you know, a conservative and everybody else is liberal. Or you're young and everybody else is old. Or you're old and everybody else is young. I mean, sometimes we just feel outnumbered. You show up at a place and you're wearing jeans and everybody else is in a suit. And so you kind of feel uncomfortable. Now, being outnumbered um, is, is uncomfortable, and sometimes it's scary. Last week, I was in Knoxville. My daughter, uh, Janelle, and her husband, Corey, they were packing up their uh, U-Haul to move to Utah, which is interesting. And um, so they were packing the truck, and I didn't want to do that. Uh, so I took a walk. And I'm walking in Knoxville, and there's a place, it's called, it's, it's an urban ruin called Knoxville College. Anybody ever heard of that? Me either. All right, so Knoxville College, there's one of the buildings right here. Uh, it is a former uh, institution of higher education, and uh, nobody goes there now. And uh, some of the buildings are better than others, but there are places like this and worse. And so I'm taking a walk, and I come upon this urban ruin called Knoxville College. And, I mean, sure, there was a chain-link fence and a no-trespassing sign, but I thought that was a, like a suggestion. Uh, and so I saw a hole in the fence, and I thought, this is going to be fun. So I walk in there, and um, do you know what kind of people hang out in urban ruins? Um, Ne'er the Wells, uh, Riff and his cousin Raph, uh, serial killers, I'm fairly certain, were in there. And so I'm walking through the, b beside these buildings thinking to myself, I better project that I am one bad boy or I am going to get jumped. I had a wallet full of money because that's who I am. Uh, and I, I'm just walking along acting like, you know, this is just, I'm scared out of my mind because I'm outnumbered because I, I know there are people in those buildings. So I get to the fence. I get, you know, there's a fence on this. There's a fence everywhere. And I get to a fence and I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm not going back. So I'm going to have to jump this fence. People my age don't jump fences <laughs> unless they're scared out of their minds. And then God is so good. He provided a hole <laughs> in the wall, in the fence. <laughs> Uh, and there was a sign there that said, you're on trail cam. It's like, I don't care. I'm coming through. I, you know, it's like, you, you, you sue me. It, it, I, so sometimes when you're outnumbered, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes when you're outnumbered, it's scary. And today we're going to look at the, the ultimate story 
of being outnumbered. We're in this series called Fuzzy Math, when, God, when what God does doesn't add up. And sometimes the odds are so against you that it's impossible, and that's when God shows up. So if you have your Bibles or you want to turn in your tablets or in your phones, we're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapters 16 and 17. We won't do every verse, but we'll do quite a few verses. I need to set up the story for you. All right, so... Israel in the Old Testament is God's chosen people. They are, the nation of Israel is God's people. And they have a kingdom, a community, and they have a land. And David becomes king, and he expands the land, and everything is good. And then his son Solomon becomes the king, and everything is good, and everybody's sort of consolidated. And then Solomon has a son who becomes king, and his name is Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Now, he's young and he has, he has advisors. Some are older, some are younger. And Rehoboam listens to his young advisors who give him unwise counsel. And sometimes those two entities are in the room together, in fact, a lot. Young guys unwise counsel. Rehoboam alienates some people and the kingdom divides. I'm going to show you a picture just like if you were uh, in sixth grade um, Sunday school, it looks like this. The divided kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. The way I've always remembered that is I comes before J. That's just how I think about it. Uh, Jeroboam was the king of Israel at this time. Rehoboam was the king of Judah. All right? So, ten kingdoms in the north, two kingdoms in the south. This is exactly what they looked like. These are portraits. Uh, and so, uh, these guys, um, they clashed. The north and the south, they clashed. And they fought civil war. The north and the south. Who ever heard of such? And so, they have this... A strained relationship. Now, the northern kingdom eventually uh, coronates a king called Ahab. You're going to have to know four, four people today. <laughs> Not three, four. Four people today. Four people, okay? So Ahab is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he's not a good dude. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So he's an overachiever. Uh, uh, it's like evil, you've not seen, hold my beer. Uh, and so uh, he is really evil. And then he marries, uh, <laughs> he, um, how should I put this? Sometimes you marry and it helps you, and sometimes you don't. All right, so it didn't work out for him this way. All right, so he marries a lady named Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He's a god, and I'll tell you about it in just a second. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So not only does he worship this false god, but he, he builds a temple for this false god, mostly at the behest of his wife, his wife came from Baal country, you know, and she, and she came in and she introduces Baal worship to the Israelites. Ahab also made Asherah poles, I'll explain it in just a second, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. He is a mega overachiever. He, he did more evil and he aroused more concern from God than anybody else. 
All right, so Baal and Asherah. Uh, If you read the Old Testament, oftentimes the Israelites are confronted with other gods. Sometimes you'll hear Molech, that's one of them. Baal is the one that's most often uh, talked about. Okay, so Baal was a fertility god. And if you live in a country that's mostly agriculture, then you want it to rain and you want your crops to come in and you want there to be good harvests. If you're depending on harvesting for your livelihood, then you need it to rain. You don't need it to over-rain, but you need it to rain. And when you live in a country like Israel, which is mostly uh, arid climate, then rain is super important. Baal was known as the god of dew and rain. The idea was with this god, with this mythological god, that when Baal showed up, the rains fell, the rivers flowed, babies were healthy, and um, people could rise from the dead. I mean, Baal could do it all. Asherah was sort of his, his female counterpart. I don't know if you could say a wife, but sort of like that. And so the worship of these two gods... It's really kind of one God, just kind of a different personality of that God. It, it, the worship of the Baals was mostly economic. They're thinking, okay, well, uh, we're going to serve God, but we're also going to serve Baal because we, it, it's an insurance policy. You know, uh, it, we'll, we'll, we'll serve a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal, and that's kind of how it'll work. And, and you know, people will do lots of things for money. Uh, I, I read an article recently about a, a book by a, a young lady named Bernice Canner, and, and she asked this question, how far would you go for a buck? And she did a survey of 10,000 Americans. For a million dollars, 65% of Americans said they would live on a deserted island for a year. Uh, count me in. Uh, yeah, uh, a million to not be with people? Yes, uh, I'll pay you a million. Uh, so, a um, million bucks, one year deserted island. Uh, 30%, this by the way for me is a hard no, 30% would spend six months in jail for a crime they didn't commit. I don't want to spend six minutes in jail, so I, I'm not doing that one. For $3,000, 24% of Americans said they would reveal their friend's deep, dark secret they swore to keep. <laughs> some, some people do it for free. Uh, but uh, uh, $3,000 average, I think, is the average. Uh, for 50 bucks, people said 75% of Americans for $50 said they would kiss a frog. Uh, count me into that, too. Uh, with inflation, I'm going to charge 75 But still, so people will do... They'll jettison their morals a lot of times. They'll jettison uh, their, uh, their character a bit. I guess you can't jettison your character. You are who you are. But they will, they'll do things that they normally wouldn't do if there's an economic motive. So we're the nation of Israel. We are agricultural people. The worship of Baal is the worship of uh, this God who is supposed to provide the rain and the dew. He's sometimes uh, pictured in pictures with a thunderbolt. You know, that's who he is. There are two things about Baal worship that were distinctive to that particular kind of worship. Um, Baal worshipers engaged in um, uh, sexual activity with prostitutes, uh, uh, temple prostitutes, 
but not just temple prostitutes. And they didn't do it just at the temple. In fact, the language around this is under every green tree, they would uh, have sexual relations with these prostitutes. You can imagine why it was so popular. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is part of worship. You know, I'm going to go with the prostitute. Well, okay. The other equally dark part of Baal worship included, because there was uh, so much um, of this activity, this sexual activity, it uh, created babies. I don't know if you all know about birds and bees. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, But uh, uh, there are babies being born, and part of the Baal worship was to take uh, live babies and throw them into the fire and... Uh, as a sacrifice to Baal. Um, And and so, God took note. Uh, It's uh, unsurprisingly, by the way. uh, I I think God, uh, throughout Scripture, has an affection for those who can't help themselves, for the needy. And of course, a baby would be that. And so... God takes note and he raises up a prophet. This happens quite often in the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel is sort of like a, Israel, uh, their worship is like a cycle. They, they worship the real God, Yahweh, and then they have you know, success, and that leads them to kind of forget about Yahweh, and then they hit rock bottom, and a prophet comes along and it brings them back to Yahweh, and they go back, and they, it's just kind of how it goes. When they're really success for them was the worst thing that could happen, because when they got successful they stopped thinking about Yahweh and then bad things happened and they went back to Yahweh it's kind of how it worked and so Yahweh God raises up a prophet and his name is Elijah now Elijah confronts King Ahab and he says this as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word okay All right, so God delivers this message, and it's basically this. Baal is supposedly the God of dew and rain. Well, we'll just see about that. And I'm going to shut up the clouds. If you're a parent, sometimes you have a petulant child who doesn't want to do their chores, but they still want to get their uh, allowance. Uh, The Israelites wanted God's blessing. They just didn't uh, uh, didn't want to give him their devotion. And God was like, well, I'm just going to cut off the tap, literally. I'm going to literally cut off the dew and the rain. Because your God is supposedly the God of the dew and the rain. So we'll just see about that. Now, Jezebel, I mentioned her a minute ago. Remember, we have four people to remember. Ahab the king, Jezebel the queen, Elijah. There's another guy I'm going to introduce in just a second. Jezebel is all in on Baal worship. She came from that part of the world. Her daddy was named after Baal, so she is all in. And she wasn't just willing to live um, in harmony with uh, the God worshipers. She was, wi- she was actively wiping out the prophets of God, the preachers of God. And so she was, uh, she was wiping them out. So uh, Elijah is in grave danger. So he 
He says to Ahab, dude, you're not going to get rain. And then the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he says, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. So he tells him, hey, dude, you better go hide, because Jezebel's going to catch wind of this, and she's going to come after you with a vengeance. You'll drink from the brook, and I will provide, I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. The ravens, by the way, uh, the, the very ravens that are going to get beat by the Bengals today. Uh, so uh, he did what the Lord told him to do. That's not even in the Bible, that whole Bengals thing. But anyway, I thought I'd throw it in there. All right, so you, you, have, <laughs> you, you have Jezebel and Ahab, and they are worshipers of, of Baal, and they are not good losers, Evil people rarely are. And so they set out a manhunt to find Elijah. Um, th- th- they are, well, they are determined that they're going to find Elijah. They're looking every place. In fact, Ahab sends uh, the word to the kings in all the surrounding countries. And he says, if I find out you're harboring Elijah in your territory, there will be a price to pay. We want Elijah, and we are not going to back up until we find him. So this is the atmosphere Elijah is living under. I, I love Elijah because he's, he's regular people. You know, he, he, this would have to scare him. I mean, if everybody was looking for you, if you were a fugitive, here's the thing about fugitives. Fugitives move around. You want to know why? Because fugitives that stay in place, that's called fugitives that are caught. And so he's moving around. He's shucking and jiving. And God says, all right, here's the place I want you to go. Go hide there, and I will provide for you. All right, so uh, fourth, fourth person that you need to know about. It's a dude named Obadiah. His nickname was Obi. It's not in scripture, but I made that up. All right, so Ahab, Jezebel, they have a palace administrator named Obi. Daya, Obadiah, Obi. And Obadiah is a follower of God. Really interesting here because he's in this administration that is godless, and yet he is a God fearer. And so, as a guy who fears the Lord, he sees what Jezebel's doing to all the prophets of God, and so he, he, um, He gathers a hundred of the prophets and he hides them and he feeds them and he clothes them and he protects them. He hides a hundred prophets. It says in two caves. I don't know if it's 50 50 or, you know, maybe a big cave, a little cave. I don't know. Uh, You know, I don't know how it works. But he spirited them away and he kept them safe. And so he fears the Lord. And one day, Ahab says to Obadiah, he says, dude, we got to find some grass. Because you can imagine, three and a half years into a famine, there's nothing growing. And you got cattle and you have livestock. And, and so King Ahab says to Obadiah, we've got to find some food for our, for our flocks. So you go that way and I'm going to go this way and we'll see if we can find some food. And Obadiah is out and he's looking for some grazing land and he stumbles upon, you guessed it, Elijah. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him and Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and he said, is it really you, Elijah? 
And, and I th- <laughs> the, the way I read that, it's like, dude, everybody's looking for you. I mean, is that really you? And he says, yes, go tell your master Elijah is here. And Obadiah goes, time out, Holmes. Hold on, bud. Because this is what has been happening. There will be reports in the palace. And Obadiah would know this because he's in the palace. There will be reports in the palace. Hey, we saw Elijah over in Gaffney. I'm just, it's for illustration's sake. He really wasn't in Gaffney because uh, there's the peach. And uh, so uh, they would go over to Gaffney and, and Elijah was gone. And then the word would come, no, no, he's in Marietta. It's like, okay, we're going to go. And they'd go to Marietta and they'd go, he was here, but he's not here anymore. And this was the way it's been for three and a half years. They would get reports that Elijah's here or he's there or he's there. And when they would go, he's no longer there. And so Obadiah knows this and he says, listen, man, I'm happy (laughs) to tell King Ahab that you're here. But if I say that you're here and we come here and you're not here, I will no longer be here. Because he will not take this well. So you have got to promise me. I mean, Obadiah is literally risking his life. Well, he's already risking his life. He's risking his life to, to keep those 100 prophets. And now he's been asked to risk his life again. And Obadiah says, I will do it. But will you promise me that when we come back, you'll be here? It's like, I will be here. I promise. Now, what's really kind of... I don't know if you thought about this or not. All right, Ahab is king. Being king is like being a preacher. Whatever you say goes. Uh, you know, and, uh, so uh, there's king. <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, uh, so uh, maybe it's true here. I've, I've not been uh, uh, using my authority. So King Ahab, when you're king, you, you set the rules. I can't imagine Obadiah going back to King Ahab and said, hey, Elijah's there, and he said, you, you need to come there. I, I mean, he's the king. People don't tell the king what to do unless it's the queen. Uh, and so uh, he, he does it. He goes. Now, this is not the most friendly greeting. Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Um, that's a cuss word in Hebrew. Uh, you troubler of Israel is probably something really bad. I, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Because uh, uh, you know he's mad. He big mad. Is that you, you trouble of Israel? I love, I love the response. I've not made trouble for Israel. You and your father have. I'm not the trouble you are. It's like sixth grade on the playground. Uh, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the Baals. And then... He issues a challenge. I believe in wrestling parlance, this is called a grudge match. I'm not a wrestling uh, aficionado, but I think that's what it's called. So he issues a challenge. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I was never really good at math, but that's 850 to 1. I checked it twice on my calculator. 850 to 1. Now, (laughs) so Ahab does it. Ahab sends word throughout all of Israel to assemble the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver? The word waver literally means limp. How long will you limp along? How how long will you... uh, 
limp along with a false god between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And this is the most simple, logical decision in the world. It's the easiest decision ever. Baal is the god of the dew and the rain, and yet for two and a half years, uh, three and a half years, it's, not, it's neither rained nor there has been any dew. If he's the god of the dew and the rain, he's really bad at it. So choose. Just choose. Now, this is classic. But the people said nothing. Nothing. Have you ever had or known of someone, all the evidence is clear. It's all there. And they choose to ignore it. It's all there. Oh, you know, I know that, you know, he, he cheats and he's bad with customers, but I'm going to be, I want to be a partner with him. Really? Why would you want to do that? Well, I know he's always flirting and texting other girls, but I know my, his heart is mine. Really? For real? I don't think so. All the evidence is clear. Last night, because I'm a good dad and good husband, I let my wife and my daughter park in the garage and I park outside. I'd like that noted, and I'd like you to commend me for it. Uh, so I park outside, and I looked at my phone right before bed, and it said it's going to freeze, 20-something degrees. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to put uh, a cloth on top of my windshield so I don't have to scrape in the morning. So I got the cloth. I mean, I, all the evidence is there. It's going to be 25 degrees or whatever. It's going to be really cold. It's going to frost on my windshield. I know what to do. I take the cloth out there. I put it on the windshield, but I don't have the key. So I put like part of it under the windshield wipers. And what I usually do is I open the door and kind of tuck some in and close it. And that, that's what I should have done because all the evidence was clear. But I'm out there. I kind of pull it up. The key's way in there. It's like 30 feet. It's 30 feet, 30 feet back, and then another 30 feet. That's 90 feet. That's like a lot of yards. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to leave it like this, and I'm going to hope it stays. Shockingly, this morning when I got up, it had blown off. All the evidence was there. I knew what to do. I just didn't do it. All the evidence points to there's one God and it's not Baal. All the evidence. And yet, they choose to ignore it. So, they, he issues this challenge. Look at what he says. Elijah said, I, I'm, one of the only, uh, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. This isn't true, but he thought it was true. I mean, he doesn't know about the other hundred prophets. So what's interesting to me is, if he loses this, he will lose his life. He, he, is, he is, on this particular challenge, risking literally everything. So he issues a challenge. Get two bulls for us. Let the Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. And I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. 
And then you can call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of my God. And then the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, do you remember what I said just a few minutes ago? I know you do, because you were watching and listening with rapt attention. I appreciate that. Uh, Baal has something in his hand. What was it? A lightning bolt. This is... He is issuing a challenge that should be child's play for the guy with a lightning bolt in his hand. I mean, this is like challenging a marksman to a shootout. This is like challenging a lumberjack to an axe-throwing contest. This is like challenging somebody from Switzerland to a yodeling contest. I mean, he's giving them all the advantage. If they were worshiping Neptune, he would have challenged them to a fishing competition. He is saying, I'm going to give you every advantage. You pick the best of the bulls, you prepare it, and this should be for you a slam dunk. And the people said, what you say is good, because everybody likes a good old-fashioned schoolyard brawl. And that's kind of what this is going to be. Now, a couple of things about this story. When you're outnumbered, you need to remember it's possible to be all in and all wrong. The, the prophets of Baal, they were all in. Let me show you. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose the bull. They, they did. So they took, uh, they took the bull given to them, and they prepared it. And then look. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. From morning until noon. This is important. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar uh, that they had made. Really interesting. Now, i tell you why I love Elijah so much. He is the trash-talking prophet. I love that about him. I was playing basketball when I was about 17 years old. I hit two or three shots in a row, and I'm, I'm backing down the court, and I'm, I said to the guy, I said, somebody ought to guard me. Uh, so I like this. I like this. So at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> it's great. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. That is a really not great translation. He literally says, perhaps he is in deep thought or he's on the toilet. That's gold. I tell you, that's good. Uh, Or he's traveling or maybe he's asleep and you must wake him. I mean, Elijah is, now it's afternoon, so maybe he's hangry, I don't know. But anyway, he starts to taunt the prophets of Baal. You want to know why you trash talk somebody? It's to motivate them to make a mistake. I mean, you do it for a reason. You try to get in their heads. Well, he did. So they shouted louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. Have any of you ever called customer service and been put on hold? Anybody? And they put you on hold, and then they play like elevator music, Eye of the Tiger, bump. Bump, bump, bump. And you're listening to it. It's like, oh, I like that. And then about the 17th time of Eye of the Tiger, you're like, I'll never listen to that song again. Uh, I hate it. And you're on hold and you got it on speaker because customer service will be right with you. And they shout and they cut themselves and they pray. And just like customer service, there was no response, no one answered. No one paid attention. They did 
all the things they thought they were supposed to do. So you can be simultaneously confident and wrong. People do it every day. I've done it many times. I can be sure, and I can still be wrong. Second thing I want you to notice, even when you're outnumbered, we're in the majority. Look what it says. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here. Come on, come on. If he's southern, he would have said, come on. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Really interesting here. The prophets of Baal didn't have to repair anything because they were actively using this altar. Elijah had to repair the altar of the Lord because nobody's worshiping in him anymore. I mean, Baal worship is a whole lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, really important, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob. And this is important because the, the kingdom is divided. Right now it's 10, king, uh, 10 uh, tribes to two tribes, northern kingdom to southern kingdom. And Elijah is saying pictorially, God wants his people united. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be together. So he prepares this animal on the wood. And then to, to, to make it even more difficult, he says, okay, okay, okay. Let's put some water on it. Because that's exactly what you want to do if you want something to catch fire. Everybody knows this. You put water on wood if you want it to burn. So he, does, he douses it, and then he has them douse it twice, and then he super soaks it a third time. I mean, he is doing everything he can to make sure when God answers, everybody knows who it was. It's not because the meat's been sitting out for a while, that wood's been there forever, uh, it's really, really dry, so maybe, you know, uh, there's a spark and it just... No, he wants them to know this is from God. When we're outnumbered, Elijah went before the people. There's a clear choice. Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people still said nothing, nothing. If you were to ask the people, Do you worship God? They would have said, Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, man, I worship God. Isaiah, who was another prophet, put it this way. He said, the people say they love me, they show me honor with their words, but their hearts are far from me. And so Elijah says, if the Lord is God, follow him. We have this tendency to want Jesus on the throne, but other things. Marilyn Monroe, that famous actress in the 60s, was once asked, do you believe in God? And her quote, I think, is the quote of many Americans. She said, I believe in everything a little bit. Yeah, do I believe in God? Well, sure, I believe in God and karma and crystals and the power of positive thinking and the universe and Jesus and Buddha, Tom Cruise, ye. Uh, I believe in lots of things. Ye, uh, that's Kanye for you uh, older people. Uh, so uh, I believe, I'm pretty hip, that's why I know. Uh, we believe in lots of things. I believe in everything a little bit. And so he's saying, no, 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 no. If you believe in your horoscope, 
follow that. If you believe in money, follow that. If you believe in entertainment, follow that. If you believe in God, then you follow God. Now, one last thing. When we're outnumbered, we can still pray with confidence. All right, so you noticed, didn't you, that from, from morning until noon they prayed, and then Elijah starts to taunt them, and then they prayed till the evening sacrifice, so that's hours of prayer. They gyrated, they threw dust in the air, they cut themselves, they danced, they moaned, they groaned, they yelled, they screamed, they did all of these things for hours and hours and hours and then Elijah prays a 20-second prayer. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning your hearts, their hearts back again. Simple. 20-second prayer. Not hours and hours and hours. Jesus sort of addressed this one time. He said, when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, like worshipers of Baal, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. The reason they cut themselves, the reason they yelled, the reason they wanted to bleed was because they wanted to show their devotion to their God who wasn't even a God. And sometimes with, with the Lord, we, we want to prove to Him something. We want to prove our devotion. So He'll answer us. Look, don't be like them, Jesus said. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask, you don't have to be like that. So let's close. Look what happened. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, not just the wood, the stones, not just the stones, the soil, not just the wood, stones, and soil. He also licked up the water in the trench, you know, all that water he'd poured on there. And when all the people saw this, they fell face down and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And what you would really hope to read next verse is, and they lived happily ever after, except they didn't. And before too long, they had success. And when you have success, they have a tendency to turn their back on God. And he had to get their attention one more time. There's this great Christian thinker named John Calvin in the mid-1500s. And he said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. I think that is profound. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. So we're going to close with this question today. And I want you to ask yourself, is there anything on the throne of my heart other than Jesus? Is it Jesus and something else? Because Jesus wants to be in an exclusive relationship with you. It shouldn't be Jesus and something else. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge today. 
Thank you for men like Obadiah, Elijah, who even in dangerous situations were willing to stand up. And even when popular opinion and everybody else were doing one thing, these brave men who followed you were willing to risk their lives for their faith. Thank you for that example. And as we search our hearts today, Lord, if we see there's anything there except Jesus, I pray that we would clear the throne of everything else and just let Jesus be there. We pray it in his name. Amen.